Welcome to the All Nations Aurora podcast, where you will find family, discover purpose, and change the world. We're so glad you're here. And wherever you're listening from, we believe that God will speak directly to your life through this message. We are uh, inside of a brand new series that we started last week uh, called Living Life. How many enjoyed last week? We're starting um, a a walk through the book of Galatians, and we're extracting principles from the book of Galatians to help inform us how we should be living life. And so it's important to know some of the context that we went over last week in order for us to proceed properly into this week. And so last week we learned um, as we walked through chapter 1, of the book of Galatians, we learned that there was a big problem at the church of Galatia. And that was they were falling victim to what Paul called another gospel. And for those of you who don't know, Paul was an apostle sent by Jesus directly to the Gentiles. And the word Gentile just simply means non-Jewish person. So up until that point, When Jesus came and did his work, the message was isolated to the people of Jerusalem and Jewish people that were spread out throughout the region. And it wasn't until the Apostle Paul came on and was commissioned by Jesus himself directly face to face that the word began to spread outside of the Jewish context. And so he planted a church at a city called Galatia. This city, Galatia, is in the middle of what we know on our maps today as Turkey, which is northwest of Israel. And so he went there to plant this church. He stayed there. He labored a while. He established local leadership, and then he left to go start another church. But what happened was, after he left, some other Christians came to Galatia, and they began to add on to what the true, simple gospel was. And because of this, Some of the people of Galatia were falling off track. And so he heard about it, and he wrote this letter to them to correct them. One of the first things he said was, I can't believe. We read that letter. I can't believe that y'all are tripping like this. I can't believe that you all are taking what I gave you and making it into something else. And he took some time to first reintroduce himself. He said, allow me to reintroduce myself. My name is Paul. He said, I was was sent directly by Jesus Christ himself. I'm not like these other people who are giving you some man-made rubbish. I'm telling you what Jesus, the Messiah, told me directly to give to you. And so we walked through uh, what the difference was between the true gospel and this other gospel. And Paul said the other gospel isn't even a gospel at all. And one of the things that we used in the backdrop of breaking down the difference between the true gospel and this other gospel was the story that took place right after creation between Adam and Eve. And we often think about how they took the fruit from the the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but there were actually two trees available in the middle of the garden. There was the tree of life and there was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They had full access to the tree of life And they were told to not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so those two trees would represent 
the difference between the true gospel and the other gospel. Are y'all with me so far? See, the true gospel or the tree of life is life-giving. When we eat from the tree of life, something internal in us wants to be better. Something internal in us wants to pursue God even more from an internal place of gratitude and love and hope, a real pureness. But what happens with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is we start to work our way toward a close relationship with God. We start to try to become good little rule followers in order to pursue a closer relationship with God. But what happens is when we get in that rut, we start to look down on people who ain't keeping our rules. We start to judge people who aren't checking all the boxes that we're checking, and we start to think that we are superior to them. That is another gospel that isn't even the gospel at all. And so that's where we find ourselves today as we move on to chapter two, because now there's, there's this there's one-on-one confrontation between two giants in our Bible. There's a confrontation between Paul and Peter that takes place right at the beginning of chapter two, because this is what happened. Peter was accused of being two-faced. Paul don't, Paul don't, listen, Paul don't hold no punches. So what happened was Paul observed Peter hanging out with the people at Galatia with no problem. Chilling with them, hanging with them, eating with them, teaching with them. No issue whatsoever until some people from Jerusalem, from where he used to be, came to Galatia. And then Peter started tripping. He like, um, yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't know them. Yeah, man. Yeah, you know, them, you know, them, them heathens. Because what, what, what these people from Jerusalem were doing was this. Because you got to remember, everybody is new to this thing called the way. What we know as Christianity, they called it the way. They were new to being followers of Jesus. Everybody was. And so traditionally before Jesus came, They were really good at keeping commandments. And they were used to, we got to do this, we got to do that, we got to do this, and we got to do that in order to be in right standing with God. Jesus came and said that he came to fulfill the law and he established a new covenant. And all you have to do is surrender your life to me. And they're like, that's it? You sure? No, I think we got to do this and that. And so they brought that to Galatians and said, You have to do this and that. And one of the big things they told them they had to do was get circumcised. In order for you to be a real Christian, you got to pull out the knife and get circumcised. And so we're going to start our conversation in the second chapter of Galatians. I'm going to be using the message version for these first few um, scriptures. And we're going to start at verse 11. It says, Later... When Peter came to Antioch, this is the story I was just telling you, had a face-to-face confrontation with him because he was clearly out of line. Here's the situation. Earlier before certain persons had come from James, Peter regularly ate with non-Jews. But when that conservative group came from Jerusalem, he cautiously pulled back and put as much distance as he could manage between himself and his non-Jewish friends. That's how fearful he was 
of the conservative Jewish clique. Ain't the Bible cool? The Jewish clique that's been pushing the old system of circumcision. Unfortunately, the rest of the Jews in the Antioch church joined in the hypocrisy so that even Barnabas was swept along in the charade. That's, that's important when he said that even Barnabas, because see, Barnabas was Paul's boy. Barnabas rolled with Paul from region to region and planted the churches. He knew what the mission was. He knew what the standard was. And even he was persuaded to fall back to his old ways. What that lets us know is that it's easy to fall back to the tree of knowledge of good and evil. It's easy to fall back into rule following. It's easy to fall back into being a judgmental, condescending person in the name of the faith. It's easier than we realize. We can start off real pure in pursuit of Jesus and, and we're eating from the, the, the tree of life and we just want God. We just want more of him. We just want to be in his presence. And then as time goes and as we get around people and as we let influences in, we start to make it more than what it is. And we start to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. And we swing from the, from, the, from the tree of life over to the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And it's much easier to do that than we think. And the goal of today is to figure out how do we keep from going back to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because that was our portion when Adam and Eve ate the fruit. But when Jesus came and restored and fulfilled the law, he was trying to position us back to the tree of life. But we start swinging back and forth. We start to get confused when we start to add man-made rules and man-made standards that aren't in our Bible to the gospel. And it becomes no gospel at all. And so what we want to encourage you with on, on, on today is this. A return back to the pureness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What's the gospel? Well, well, Paul in this same chapter reiterates what the gospel is. If we jump down to verse 16 in chapter 2, he says, We know very well that we are not set right with God by rule keeping. That's the Bible. That's not Talit. But only through personal faith in Jesus Christ. How do we know? We tried it. And we had the best system of rules the world had ever seen. What's that? That's the Old Testament. There were 614 commandments that they had to keep. How many know that's impossible? <laughs> what you also should know is that was intentional. God set that standard so high, made it so impossible so that they would be totally dependent on him. And so he said, we tried, yo, we tried this. Remember, 614 testaments. It was the best system of rules ever created. And he continued on. We were convinced that no human being can please God by self-improvement. We believed in Jesus. So he said, we tried to follow all these rules. And we tried to make ourselves better by following all these rules. And it didn't work. So instead... What we have figured out is that the best thing for us is to try Jesus. The best thing for us is to believe in Jesus as the Messiah so that we might be set right 
before God by trusting in the Messiah, not by trying to be good. How many of us are trying so hard to be good and we're trying it out of our own strength and we're trying it out of a list of rules that we think we have to maintain in order to be good? So hop down to verse 19. We actually took place. What, excuse me, what actually took place is this. I tried keeping rules and working my head off to please God, and it didn't work. So I quit being a lawman so that I can be God's man. I quit. I opted out trying to be a lawman so that this was the prerequisite for me to become God's man. You got to know something about Saul. He is an educated brother. Your Bible prior to his encounter with Jesus called him Saul of Tarshish. He was from age 14 on trained in school by the best education that the culture had to offer. He was a Pharisee among the Pharisees. He was the one that they looked up to. He was the one that they got the answers from. He spoke four languages. He was brilliant and he was zealous and he thought that all the things that he was learning and the commandments that he was keeping and the languages that he could speak would get him closer to the God that he wanted, he honestly wanted, he truly wanted to be close to. How many of us find ourselves in that position where we are reading all the books, we're taking all the trainings, we're showing up perfect attendance at church in an attempt to get closer to God? There's nothing wrong with those things, but if that is the main thing, if that is your main avenue trying to get to God, you have failed. Because the way to God is Jesus. It's opening up your heart, your life to Jesus. It's talking to Jesus. It's coming to Jesus. It's surrendering to Jesus. It's submitting to Jesus. And all those other things are just supplementary. And so that's what the apostle Paul is trying to get. He's like, man, listen, ain't none of y'all got a resume like me. Ain't none of y'all followed the law like I followed it, and even after I did it, I failed. It did not work. And I had to realize that the mistake that I was making was I was submitting to the law and I was not submitting to Jesus. The moment I submitted to Jesus is when I became God's man. Today's message is a tough one. It's not one that you should preach if you want to grow a church. <laughs> but it is one that you should preach if you want to grow the people in your church. And so that's my number one aim. Is I want us all to grow. And I want us all to be closer to God. And so what we're about to embark on, today's message is called Dying to Live. Dying to Live to live. And what, what we're about to enter into is deep. It's not deep in the sense of interpreting Greek or Hebrew. 
It's deep in that it's a simple truth that's hard to do. And that's deep. When God gives you something plain, but yet it's tough. You know, it reminds me, uh, my wife and I, we went on a trip this week. And so we've been blessed over the last seven or eight years or so. We have a business called His and Her Money where we go and here and there and we fly here and there to speak. And we're used to traveling and getting on planes and going to airports and all that comes with it. And so we approached this trip. We had to go do some church stuff this week in, in South Carolina. And so, you know, we talked about when we want to leave and leaving enough time so that we get through everything and get to the terminal. And so an interesting thing happened. Uh, we get in the car. Everything's cool. We're driving. Everything's cool. We get to the parking lot of the airport and things get a little crazy. So at O'Hare Airport, they have parking lots that have different letters, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, L, L, M, N, O, P, right? And so it's usually fine, right? Because I don't like sitting around at airports. So I don't want to ask nobody for a ride. I don't want to wait for an Uber. I don't want to wait. I want to get there, get in the air, touch down, and go. So we don't Uber. We don't ask for a ride. We just drive. And so this is usually how it goes. We drive. We get to the parking lot. We park. There's a shuttle that takes you from the parking lot to the terminal. Boom, bam, straight. Right? Not this time. So we follow the script like we always follow. We get in the car. We drive to the parking lot, parking lot H. So boom, we get there. We get out. We go to the little bus terminal. The bus picks us up. And we wait a little bit. We're waiting for more people to go on. That's, that's no big deal. Let a couple more people get on. Then he starts driving. And I'm noticing something very interesting. We're going away from the airport. I'm, I'm like, where are we going? And so unbeknownst to us, because we haven't been at O'Hare for a while, he said, there's some changes. What you didn't know is that there's been some construction going on. And they have built a train. O'Hare has a train now. This little, little blue train that comes by every few minutes and takes you from the train station over to the terminal. In my mind, I'm like, it'd be a lot easier if you just drove this bus across the street and dropped me off. I would appreciate that. And so what he did was he began to give us the instructions. He said, this is what you do. Check it out, champ. He said, you're going to take this bus. I'm going to drop you off over here to the train station. You get out the bus. You go into this door on the side. You go up the escalator. Then you wait for the train to come. Make sure you go on the train that's going this way. Don't go on the train going that way. So then you get on the train, and what's going to happen is the train is going to take you over to the terminal almost. And then what you have to do is you got to get out the train station. Then you got to go over this overpass that's over the expressway. Then you come down the escalator, and boom, you'll be at the terminal. <laughs> he said, now keep this in mind when you come back, though. By this time, my mind is fried. I'm a simple man. <laughs> and all these letters and all these arrows got my brain just spinning. So he said, now listen, keep in mind, I want to tell you something. When you come back, make sure you get on the train. But when you get off the train, make sure you go to the F bus. I'm like, why would I go to the F bus if I'm in the H lot? 
He said, you got to go on the F bus because the F bus is going to take you to the place where the H bus is going to pick you up and bring you over to the H lot. <laughs> the airport is across the street, y'all. I could see the airport out the window of the bus. What happened was they took something very simple, spent a bunch of money, and overcomplicated a simple process, much like we do with the gospel. It's a simple truth. He came, he lived, he died, he rose again just for you. But what we do is we put more onto it and we overcomplicate the journey from the cross. And we tell people, you got to get on this ride, go this way, go up, come down, go back up and over, and then you'll eventually get to your destination. The truth is simple. The truth of the gospel is basic. It's a surrender. It's a submission. And what happens when we keep it simple is God does the rest. When we get in the way and we start to add to it, we're in the way of what he's trying to do in our lives. And so what we're about to delve into is, it's tough. And after your decision to surrender your life to Jesus, this is probably the most important decision that you'll have to do after that. This right here, you take to heart and you apply, will change your life. Paul talks about this in Galatians 2 and 20. Here's the secret. Here's the cheat code. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me the, the key to us getting closer and closer to the Lord is a crucifixion. It's a death. It's a funeral. Surrender looks bloody. Submission can be painful. It's the reason they use the word here, crucify. Because the crucifixion was the most humiliating way that you could possibly die. Not only was it humiliating, but it was public. Nobody got crucified on the low. You were a public display for everybody to take a good look at. And that's what our Bible is saying is the key to us unlocking a closer relationship with the Lord is if we decide it's no longer I who live. It's no longer I who live. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. You got to be comfortable with dying. Jesus talked about it too in Matthew and 16 and 21. He said, from then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, but on the third day, 
he would be raised from the dead. Now, that's good news to us, but it was bad news to them. You got to understand, they spent their whole life learning about a coming Messiah who was going to rescue them, a coming king who was going to deliver them. And in their minds, Jesus was that, but that was going to take place on the earth. They were riding with Jesus because they're like, any day now, we're about to take over. We're about to ride on the Roman Empire, and we are going to be on top. And Jesus is like, by the way, I'm getting ready to die and leave. How many know that we have, when we come to Jesus, we have some ideas about how this thing is going to go? We have some ideas about how our life is about to change. We have some idea about how our future is going to look. And so did they. And now Jesus has come and interrupted all of their little ambitions. He didn't come and remix the whole thing. Like, no, actually, I'm leaving. (laughs) So here's Peter's response. Peter took him aside in verse 22 and began to reprimand him. How do you reprimand Jesus? I mean, the dude had two little fish and five loaves of bread and fed thousands. He done open eyes, open ears, helped people walk that couldn't walk before. And Peter going to run up on him and tell him about himself. That's bold. That takes guts. He said, heaven forbid, Lord, this will never happen to you. (laughs) And then Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. I mean, that's a tough rebuke. Now, I done been rebuked before. Now, ain't nobody called me Satan. (laughs) Satan. That's a tough, that's a tough rebuke to take from your pastor. Get get away from me, Satan. (laughs) But but here's something important. He says, you are dangerous, a dangerous trap for me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you want to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross and follow me. In verse 23, it's very interesting that Jesus said, you're looking at this from a human point of view and not God's point of view. Aren't we humans? Isn't it obvious that we would look at things from a human point of view? So what he's trying, the truth he's trying to tell us is that our natural inclination is to only think and strategize and goal set based on a humanistic point of view. But the best thing you can do, the better thing for you to do is to look at it from heaven's point of view. Because our default is to rely on our own strength. I think about my career in the military. There was a point early on where God made it clear that I was supposed to exit, that my time, according to heaven, was up. Prayed about it, got the answer. He said, time is up. But what happened was I started looking at my situation from man's point of view, from a humanistic point of view. And I was like, God, this don't really make sense. A little bit like Peter. I said, you know, what you're asking me to do, I can't really wrap my mind around because this, that, and the other isn't quite lined up. So what did I do? Did I get out? No. 
I re-enlisted. Guys, I re-enlisted in Iraq. I was standing in Iraq with bombs exploding like, yes, please, Lois, yes, sign me up. Five more. Because I let the human situation and the human condition of my life teach me that I wasn't ready to follow him. I had really good reasons from a human point of view because I wasn't looking at it from heaven's point of view. And can I share something with you? Can I be transparent so you can be set free? Most of the injuries that I have obtained through my military career came after that decision. So some of y'all saw me sitting down during worship, I had to. Because some of my, my, my stuff was acting up. And so in order for me to stand here now, I had to sit down then. Why? Because I was looking at things during, through, heaven, through human lenses instead of looking at things through heaven's lens. Heaven knew that the best thing for me to do was to get out right then and right there. But I didn't listen. And now I have some things that will never leave me as a result of me acting like Peter. Lord, no, what's wrong with you, Jesus? That doesn't make sense. We should do it this way. And so it's important that when heaven speaks that you listen. That when heaven pushes you in a direction that even doesn't make sense to your human understanding that you listen anyway. Ask me if I made that mistake again. Heck no. One thing about me is I'm going to learn. I'm going to take the L, but I'm going to turn that L into a lesson. So like when, when, when God called my wife and I to do this, internally I'm like, mm-mm. I got, all this, I got all this to do. But I've learned that when heaven speaks, you listen. You start looking at things through the lens of heaven. Stop looking at things through the lens of your humanistic nature. Amen? So it's important to know this. In order for you to live in the fullness of everything that God has for you, something has to die. You can't come to the cross and stay the way that you came. Something has to die. If you want to be all that God created you to be, something has to die. And nothing about death is comfortable. Nothing about death is cute. But it's necessary. You have to ask yourself, do I want to be all that God wants me to be? Do I want to have everything that God wants me to have? And if my answer to these questions is yes, then that tells me that something has to die. Jesus talked about it further in the 25th verse. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. Why? Because something has to die. What God is calling us to is living a crucified life. He wants us to get comfortable with crucifixion. 
He wants us to get comfortable with dying because he said that when we try to save our life, we actually lose. But when we when we just freely accept this death, he's saying at that moment, that's when you will find life. Paul talks about it more in in Romans six and uh, six through seven. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. Dying, crucifying ourselves breaks sin's power over our lives. That's why when you come to the cross, you can't stay the same because if you crucify yourself, sin doesn't have a grip on you anymore. We are no longer slaves to sin, for when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. We were set free from the power of sin. And so we're studying this book of Galatians, and there's actually three times that this this idea of crucifying yourself is talked about in this book, and we're going to look at those three examples to find out how we're supposed to live a crucified life, because the goal here is that we are dying to live. And so we talked about the first thing that has to die uh, when we read chapter two earlier, and he said, is, he said, I crucify myself. And so the first thing that you have to crucify is yourself. You have to to crucify you. Now think about this. Apostle Paul is a man. He's been trained, he's been educated, he's been a leader, he's been looked up to, and now post uh, uh, um, his life as Saul, he had a face-to-face encounter with the resurrected Jesus Christ. He got a personal assignment from Jesus Christ. I think Paul's resume is a little bit better than ours. Would you agree? And so even him, in 1 Corinthians 15 and 31 says this, I die every day. When the last time you died? Paul said, I die every day. He said that because he realized that that's the only way that he could live. He had to wake up, and we have to wake up every day ready to die, saying, Lord, I know that I won't get through this day without you. I surrender my all back to you. Kill anything in me that's not like you. And he realized that that prayer expired every 24 hours. And he got up the next day and prayed it again. Because he realized that that was the only way that he could live. We have to make sure that we are dying every day. There there can't be a day off. You know why? Because the devil ain't taking a day off. He wants you to come on back over to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He wants you to fall back to your old way of living. And if he can't get you to do that, he wants you to become a good little book follower and become judgmental and condescending to everybody else so that you make the gospel look bad. Either way, that's a win for him. So that's why it's important that you 
die daily. John 3 and 30 says this, he must become greater and greater and I must become less and less. Do you realize that your key to life is to get up out of God's way? You have to acknowledge when you pray to him, Lord, please, I want to be less so that you can be made greater in my life. Are we praying these types of prayers to our Savior? Are we walking out the door every day in our own strength? Are we walking out the door every day in our last anointing from our last season, from our last church, trying to operate today from a prayer we prayed 18 months ago? Daily. Every day we need him. That's what Paul is saying. We cannot make it one day without surrendering and submitting to him and then waking up and resubmitting and resurrendering to him and then waking up and resubmitting and resurrendering to him. It's the only way that we are going to be like him. And so the action step to crucify yourself is humility. It's the opposite of what happens when you serve him for a while. Pride is much easier to step in when you feel as though you've mastered the art of this and the ministry of that. When you've been a faithful tithe payer, you've been a faithful giver, you've ministered in this way, you've ministered in that way. People call you for prayer. People call you for a word. People call you for answers. And you start to think it is about you. And what you have to realize is that you are now a stumbling block to the gospel because you lost all sense of humility. And everything about our Savior was humility. He's God. He left his throne, wrapped himself in this flesh in humility, lived a perfect life in humility, nailed himself to a cross in humility, took the the keys of death, hell, and the grave in humility, got up out the grave in humility. If anybody could brag, I think it would have been Jesus. But he spent his whole ministry in service, being an example of what humility looks like. So how can we be more humble? We can humbly acknowledge God in everything. Everything, everything. We can talk to God about everything. Everything that we desire, everything that we're going after, any decisions that are before us right now, the key to humility is to add God into it. Stop trying to do it on your own. Number two is thank God every day. Come on, do you, do you only thank God when you're in here? Do you only thank God when the, when, the, when the plate is in front of you? I thank God for this food that I'm about to receive for the nourishment of my body and my soul. Other than that, how often are you thanking God? How often are you just thanking him for that little thing called oxygen? How, how often are you thanking God that You woke up. (laughs) Somebody didn't. How often are you thanking God for the ability to go to work? Or are you just going there to complain? Are you going there asking God for something else? Are you going there judging 
yourself based on what you saw on social media, now you resent the thing that you asked God for two years ago. Instead, you can thank God every day for what you have, what he's blessed you with. You can thank God every day, and that results in humility. Last thing is to stop passing judgment. That's a tough one, right? That's a tough one not to look your nose down on lesser Christians or the heathens or the people that don't go to your church because your church is the only church. I appreciate it, but no. Not at all. It's an intentional exercise. Let's be real. I don't know how many of y'all want to be real, but it's an, I have to be intentional with not passing judgment. Sometimes I catch myself like, well, you know, you know what, never mind. Amen. God bless them. Let the Lord be with them. God is for them, like we were just thinking. But I am intentional about it. Because I don't want to be swinging back over to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and being a judgmental, condescending person taken away from the gospel. Because everything you do is a testimony for or against the gospel. Because you keep posting scriptures on Facebook, but you mean mugging people at work. Everything you do is a testimony for or against the gospel. You can't keep talking about how good God is, but you live in paycheck to paycheck. That doesn't compute. That doesn't compute. There has to be something in you that surrenders even your finances to God and then follows the instructions that heaven gives you about that. You are a testimony for or against the good news of Jesus Christ with everything that you do. So you can't be cursing people out at the stoplight. You okay? With your little road rage? Surrender. Submit. Die. Just telling you to die. Second thing you got to crucify is your flesh. Your flesh. Now that's, that's just a Bible word. It doesn't mean the skin on your, on your bones. The word flesh means your passions and your desires. You've got to crucify your flesh because we're being told that we should live by our passions and our desires. We should find our answers from our passions and our desires. We should just accept our passions and our desires. You know, everybody in my family had a short temper, so I just got a short temper too. Everybody in my family like pork, so I like pork too. Everybody got high blood pressure, so I know I'm going to have high blood. You don't have to accept it. You can kill it. You can crucify your flesh. You don't have to stay that way. In Galatians 5 and 24, it says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. You can kill it. Did you know that? You don't have to take it. 
You don't have to, well, I, I just feel it. And I just, when the feeling comes, I just, I just can't help it. I can't stop myself. Yes, you can. If you have come to Jesus, he gave you his spirit. That means he gave you the power to kill it, to crucify it, to nail it to the cross. You have authority over it. It doesn't have authority over you. Joshua 24 and 15 says, choose, choose, choose today whom you will. That means you have a choice. It's not something that's mandated to you. It's a choice that you can make to serve him. And he ends up by saying, but as for me and my family, we will, we will again. He's making a declaration. He's letting you know that the decision has been made. We will serve the Lord. So to crucify your flesh, your action step here is to watch your choices, watch your decisions, and how you come to the decisions that you come to. The first step is to consider. Stop, pause, and weigh the options. Make sure that you understand the pros and the cons of your decisions. Don't just make them out of passion and out of desire without putting some thought into the decision and the ramifications thereof. The next thing that you should do is to consult. One of the most important aspects of wise decision making is to recognize the value of good counsel. That's why one of the first things we teach you here is to find family. Because you're just out here trying to do this thing on your own, you, you definitely lining yourself up for an L. There should be somebody in your life with enough Jesus in them that you can present this to and say, yo, what do you think? If you out here on your own island, it's a setup to be inside the devil's playground. You ain't that deep. Somebody in your life you should be able to have that conversation with. Help me think this through. And the last thing is to have courage. I didn't have that when I was faced with that decision to get out, stay in. I said, ah, this looks a little too much. I had the fear of the unknown. I didn't know what was on the other side. I know the other side didn't look too appealing. And so I didn't have the courage. I didn't have the guts. And I ended up making the wrong decision. Last point, we out of here. Crucify the world. Crucify the world. That's the third place we see it in Galatians is in 6 and 14 as for me, may I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of that cross, my interest in this world has been crucified. My interest in this world has been crucified. And the world's interest in me has also died. I'm not telling you what to do, but I'm telling you I can't consume everything. I love music. I was a big, 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 all caps, hip-hop fan growing up. And it had power over me. I loved hip-hop. I was hip-hop. I was. I mean, I was a snob. I was a hip-hop snob. Like, you had to have some skills. Like, don't come around me with that. And I learned that I had to get that out of my life. 
I'm just telling you, me. This is, this is me. This is what I had to kill. I don't know what you have to kill. I know you got to kill something. But for me, I can't listen to everything because it influences me. Makes me look at the world a certain way. Makes me act a certain way. I can't watch everything. Why? Because it influences me. Makes me think a certain way. Makes me see the world. Makes me see people a certain way. Makes me snap. Makes me angry. Hmm? Yeah, have you ever watched a movie that came out just mad? I don't, I, I'm going to tell my Ava. Hey, y'all remember Rosewood? Listen, I was so mad I came out of there. Let one person say the wrong thing. They're going to catch these hands. Because it has that power. But for me, I had to get, I had to move all that stuff out of my life in order to be focused on Jesus. I'm not telling you that to go start, create a checklist of your, but I am saying you need to ask God, what do you need to kill from this world? There's something about this world that should die. You shouldn't be good with everything. You shouldn't be watching everything they watch, listening to everything they listen to, drinking everything they drink, drinking everything they drink, smoking everything they smoke. But it's legal. Listen. Crucify this world. If you want what God has for you, something has to die. Everything can't be good from the world. Something about the world you need to cut out. Some of y'all need to prune your your friends list on Facebook. I mean, you might as well play because they... They done with me. I done came for their Facebook page. I make here make y'all feel better. Go ahead, give them something nice. To cut cut some folks off. Because they're part of the world that's messing you up. Everything they post is messing you up. Everything they post is reminding you of what you came from and looking good, making you want to go back to leave the tree of life or the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Second Corinthians, this is Paul again, 6 and 17, it says, therefore, come out from among unbelievers and separate yourselves from them, says the Lord. Don't touch their filthy things and I will welcome you. And I will be your father and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. How do you crucify the world? Separation. That doesn't mean you disown anybody. That doesn't mean that you look down on anybody. That doesn't mean that you judge anybody. That just means sometimes some people, some things, some groups have to go for your sake. It ain't even about them. It's about your personal relationship with Jesus. Do I want more of Jesus or do I want more of the world? That's a choice that you're going to have to make. And you're going to have to make it daily. You're going to have to make these decisions to die today. And then you're going to have to make it again tomorrow. And every day thereafter. Paul wasn't lying when he said, I die daily. 
I study Paul so much because I see what God wants to do in me and it looks a lot like him. And so that was one of the nuggets that I took from his life. I was like, dang, he done did all these things. He wrote half the New Testament. And he came to the realization that despite all that he had done, all that he would do, he knew that he wasn't good enough by himself. He knew that if he trusted and depended on his scholarship, if he trusted and depended on the fact that ain't too many people can say that they had a conversation face-to-face with Jesus like he could, ain't too many people can say that they got a personal assignment from Jesus like he could. And he said, despite all of that, I realize that I'm dangerous if I try to do this without him. I die every day. And so now you have to ask yourself, uh, am I willing to die? Because dying is the only way to live. When it comes to us walking out our faith, Dying is the only way to live. Now, I could, I could have, you know, came up with a message. God's got a blessing with your name on it. Made you feel real good. But instead, I wanted to give you something that would give you the space to be able to receive what God has for you. That's a funeral. Because the only way to live for him, the only way to be all that he created you to be, because he created you to be something great, that much is true, but you can't access it without death, without a crucifixion of yourself, your flesh, and this world. It's got to die, and it's got to die every day. So if it is your desire to live for Jesus, it has to be your desire to die for him too. So let's start today. I'm going to ask everybody to stand. We're going to pray. I'm going to also open up the altar to anybody who knows that there's a part of them that just needs to die. And I'm going to pray a general prayer and then I'm going to pray over whoever comes to the altar. Let this be your funeral. We can just have one big funeral. Because you know, way better than I know, how much, what part, how you need to die. You're not just dying for no reason. You're dying out of a desire for him. That's why Paul said, I die every day. Because his desire every day was to live for Jesus. So when was the last time that you surrendered anything to him? Let alone a day. 
When was the last time you surrendered your personality? When was the last time you surrendered your gift? When was the last time you surrendered your career? When was the last time you surrendered your family? When was the last time you surrendered your goals? To him. Because that, that's telling him how much you trust him. When you lean on yourself as opposed to leaning on him. So if you're ready to die, can you just come to the altar? Don't even think about it. This is between you and him. But we're going we're gonna to have a funeral. We're going to crucify what needs to be crucified. Why? Because the only way to live for him is to die for him. He died for you. And he's just asking for your life in return. It doesn't matter who's around, who's looking. It matters how much you want to be more like him. Thank you for joining us today. For more ways to stay connected, visit us at allnationsaurora.com. Be sure to subscribe and share this podcast with your family and friends. Thanks for listening. Now go out and change the world.